as we normally do, look to the screen together and let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we say also, even so come, Lord Jesus. Prepare our hearts with hunger. Prepare our hearts with anticipation for the return of the Lord. May it be our passion. May it become the hope of our lives. And may we focus not on the things of this world, but on the things that pertain to you. We give you thanks and we ask you to move today by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, before we get into the details of being strengthened in the Lord, I realize that that may sound like it's just, well, we come, you know, to church to get stronger. You know, well, I didn't feel good when I came, but I feel a little bit better now. And we call that strengthening, and that is strength. That is strengthening. But it's a low level of strengthening. God has designed his kingdom to operate in such a way so that something of significance happens when his people come together. Last week we learned the significance of worship going from this to this. As valuable as this is, he wants it to be this. And we need to learn the same dynamic about strengthening. Strengthening is not just an almost passive statement that says, well, I feel better than I did when I came. You know, I, I always hope you feel better when you come to church than you did before you came. We all have testimonies of, well, I wasn't feeling good, but after I got to church, I felt better, felt stronger. Uh, I didn't want to go, but after I went, you know, I'm glad I did. But it's almost a grudging tip of the hat to God. And we don't understand what God intends when he says, I want you to come that I might strengthen you. Don't turn in your Bibles, but in Haggai, the book of Haggai, it's a short one, just a couple of chapters in the Old Testament. It's a good picture of what it means to be strengthened. The Lord began speaking through the prophet to the people of Israel, and they had had one disaster after another. He said, you put... Uh, money in a purse to discover it's got holes in it. You eat, but you're not hungry. You gather yourself with new clothes, but you're not warm. You drink, but your thirst is not quenched. He said, everything you do is a disappointment to you. And they were saying, yes, amen, that's right. We need you to do something. And then God brought something totally revelatory and rattling to the table. He said, nothing is working and it's because of you. And then you say, well, I've been there, nothing new about that. What rattles you further is when God says nothing's working and it's because of you. And then he says, um, you know, I'm behind it. There's nothing more frustrating than rebuking the devil and him not knowing what you're talking about. 
God said, I sent this. And he explained something to them. The Lord will always do this. You remember in the Old Testament uh, when he said, I'm sending you to a land uh, of the former and latter rain. He said, it's not like Egypt. In Egypt, if you had had famine or you had drought, you could just use foot pumps and the mighty Nile would irrigate your crops. That's why there was so much provision that lasted so much longer in Egypt than it did any place else um, during the days of Joseph. He said, but I'm sending you to a land of former and latter rains. And he said, I'm doing that for a purpose. Loved ones, never doubt the Lord's love for you when he sends you to a tougher place than you were. I, I hate that. I really do. As I've told you, it's one of the many things I've tried to help the Lord with. I, I felt like if he would just listen to me, it would be better. You know, it would help his PR, but he doesn't listen. Thank God I'm being sarcastic for those of you that don't know me. Um, God loves us so much that he's willing to be misunderstood by us for a season in order to bring us to a better place. So he said, I'm sending you to a land where you depend on the rains. He said, you don't have foot pumps that you can bail yourself out of the situation. You have to have the rain. And if it doesn't rain, you can call on me and ask me why it's not raining. And the conclusion, you know, the answer was kind of foregone conclusion. He says, and when you ask me why it's not raining, I'll tell you your sin. (laughs) And then you can repent and I will forgive you and I'll heal your land and you can glorify my name. God has wired us that way, but the the children of Israel tend to forget it just like we tend to forget it. And so what the Lord did is in keeping to his promise, he explained why. He said, you are focused on your house instead of my house. Now, don't worry, we're not receiving another offering today or anything like that. This is not about a building fund. I'm just trying to lay this into perspective but the people had blown it. He said, you, you spend all the money you can get your hands on on your house, but you're not taking care of my house. Now, God is not greedy. He's not thin-skinned. Well, you, I don't want you taking care of you. Do you take care of me? In fact, when David brought the idea of a house being built for God, God's first response was, David, when have I ever asked for this? And, and it wasn't, a, I don't, I'm not interested in a house. We've all known people that don't like our gifts and we say, "Uh." no, it wasn't God saying, I don't want a house. It was God saying, David, it's good that it's in your heart, but now is not the time. It's going to belong to your son and things are going to change. God said, good, but now he says, David was on track. You need to restore the house. You need to put that representation of me first above your comfort And because you haven't, this has happened, this has happened, and this has happened. And the people were in awe. They were overwhelmed with, we have blown it from beginning to end. There's nothing. God says, everything you do turns out backwards. I mean, it's in in Haggai chapter 1. Well, both chapters of Haggai, he talks about that. Everything you do, you've done for the wrong reason, and I am fighting against you. But then God says three amazing things. This is where the idea of coming to God for strength comes from. Number one, God said, it's always been like this. It's always been like this. But he said, no one thing beyond all else. Here's number one. I am with you. I am with you. 
Now, it's good to know that no matter where we are, God is with us. That means no matter where we are, we can start the road to recovery. I'm with you. The second thing that happened, it's one thing to just have a propositional truth that God's with me. We all know that. I mean, and if you're, you don't even have to be a Christian to know that. You can just be a theist. Just believe that there is a supreme God. And you may not have any relationship with Him, but you know intuitively God's with us. He, if He's able to create all this, He must be everywhere. But God said, I not only want you to know I'm with you, but the second thing that He did is He began to stir up the spirit of Zerubbabel. Now, loved ones, hear me. The idea of coming to church is not only that we come together to acknowledge that God is with us, but God said, I'm going to stir you up. I'm going to begin to move things around in your heart. And it's God saying, Mike, I'm, I don't want you to think I'm just with you, Mike. I want you to know that I'm with you, and I want you to feel the moving of the Holy Spirit. Loved ones, we need to understand how beautiful Genesis 1 is, where it says that the earth was without shape and formless and void, but the Spirit of God was brooding over the face of the deep. And when the Spirit of God broods over the face of something, even when it's hopeless, <laughs> even when it's helpless, even when it's shapeless, even when it has no meaning, when the Spirit of God begins to move, life begins to come forth. So God said, I'm not only with you, but look at Zerubbabel. Something's happening in that man's heart. Open up and let it happen in your heart as well. And then God said, I, he did a third thing. I'm with you. I'm stirring. Can't you see it? If you don't feel it, look at Zerubbabel and get close to him. The Spirit of God is brooding over the face of the deep. He said, the third thing that happens is I will help you. Okay? Now, I, I, I love this. Let me, let me read this part, part of that story, and, and then we'll move on. He said, you expected much, but you see it turned out to be little. What, uh, what you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains in ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of the heavens, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields, on the mountains, on the grain, on the wine, the olive oil, and everything else on the, that the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. They said, we've blown it. God said, everything you've done is counterproductive. And then God speaks one more time. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed yet left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not born fruit. He said, this is what you've got. Nothing. And then he says this powerful sentence. But from this day on. He says, it's a day you mark on your calendar. From this day on, I will bless you. Now, loved ones, the purpose of God's people coming to church is to be strengthened because God is able to say, you've blown it, but I'm still with you. 
God is able to say you've blown it, but you know I'm stirring up life in the midst of death. And God says, nothing has worked yet, but mark this on your calendar. Mark this on your calendar so that a year from now and 10 years from now, your children and your grandchildren can look back on this day and said, from this day forward, I will help you. That's why we come to church. That's why we come to church. Now, let's shift to the outline. Let's shift to the New Testament. And what I want to do is just read maybe a couple of dozen verses with as little commentary as possible. Because most of us don't understand how important it is to come to church to be strengthened. We think we get strengthened by listening to our favorite podcast. And you can be strengthened that way. We think we get strengthened by having a positive attitude. That can help you be strengthened by having a positive attitude. But I believe what God is doing is he's moving us to a place where we rediscover why he calls us together. Loved ones, can you believe this? We're rediscovering why he moves us to a place of former and latter rain because we've spent our whole life depending on foot pumps and irrigation systems and medications. And there's nothing wrong with medication. There's nothing wrong with counseling. There's nothing wrong with things that help us deal with life. I want you to be sure you understand. I'm not against those things. And, but we must not let what is supplemental become the source. We must not let a resource become the source. And he's moving us to a place where we think that it's bad. We think that he is mad. We think that he has forsaken us, but he's not pulling away. He's drawing you away. He's drawing you out of a system. He gave a command and we, we look at it and we say, how? And he gave us a command and then he starts helping us do it. Revelation, come out of Babylon, my people. Don't be a partaker of the demonic. Don't be a partaker of the wicked. Don't be a partaker of evil. Come out. And we say, yeah, I need to come out. And we don't understand he's already grabbed us and he's pulling us. He's pulling us out. God in his great mercy spoke to Lot and said, get your family out of here. Take your two girls, take your wife, get out of this city. Judgment's coming. And the Bible says that while he hesitated, the angel of the Lord grabbed them and started walking out of town with them. Loved ones, I'm telling you, I'd rather be grabbed and dragged than left to my own devices. And God is pulling us away and out of a system. And the, the benefit of moving to a land with former and latter rain is we are utterly and totally dependent on him. We have so many resources and we thank God for every resource as long as a resource stays in its place. But we must tap into the source of all that is worth having. And that is the presence of the Lord. And that's when we come to church to be strengthened. Okay, listen. Let's get to these verses. Paul says to the Corinthians, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. Now, this is an interesting construct in the Greek. Do you know what it means when a preacher says, let's summarize? Very little, very little. But here's the summary. When you meet together, one will sing, 
Another will teach. Another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. But here's the summary. Here's the summary. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. Church has become so many things in so many cultures, in so many settings. But one of the primary reasons we learned last week, we come to worship in spirit and in truth. We produce a symphoneo, a beautiful symphony of worship to God. That's why he said, when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. He's with us when we're alone. But he says, the moment two of you come, and then three, and then four, he says, what is a solo piece becomes a beautiful symphony. But he said, it's the same way with strength. I will never leave you. I'll always be what you need me to be. I'll always be your strength. But church is designed so that strength is exponentially poured out as people gather together. Colossians 1.11, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you may have all the endurance and all the patience you need. May you be filled with joy. 2 Corinthians 13, I'm writing this to you before I come, hoping that I won't need to deal severely with you when I do come. For I want to use the authority the Lord has given me to strengthen you, not to tear you down. That one statement tells us that a pastor has an ability. You have the ability from the moment you drive onto the parking lot till the time you get through talking to your teacher, to the time you get through talking to the child caregivers, to the time you drive off the property, you have the ability to either tear down or to strengthen. You have the ability to leave people worse off than they are or leave them better than they are. And loved ones, sometimes we just need to sit back and say, what do I leave behind? What kind of smell do I leave behind? What kind of fragrance do I leave behind? Let's go to Old Testament, Isaiah 35. Messiah is coming, Isaiah says. So with this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. I won't ask for a show of hands, but anybody ever had tired hands? Anybody ever had weak knees? You say, well, I don't know if my knees are weak or not. Well, I know how I can tell. Whenever I move them, they begin to chatter back and forth. <laughs> say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. Loved ones, every time God's people come together, there ought to be an underlying theme that just comes through every conversation. Don't be afraid. God's coming to set things right. He says the same thing in Romans 16. He says, he says uh, I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from them. Just, I mean, it's easy. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They're serving their own personal interest. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. That makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing right and to stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, we're going to read some more texts here. But I want you to understand, I want you to notice two things, that encouragement and strengthening are often used hand in hand. 
because God knows that when we are strengthened, we're encouraged. And when we're encouraged, we're strengthened. Um, other translations use the word edify in place of strengthen or built up. And uh, edify, we get the English word edifice. It's kind of an old English word. But in the olden days, whenever somebody talked about a building, they talked about the church edifice or the courthouse edifice. Uh, it, it, it meant a, a building, a place that has been constructed for a special purpose. And edifice comes from the idea of edify, which means to build up. Now, with that in mind, let's just take in some more verses and we'll see how important strengthening is. It's, this is especially for those moments, I started to say for those of us, but it's all of us who have those moments that we think, I can handle this. I can handle this. Um, and there's some things we can handle. There's some things we need to quit whining about. But there's some things we can't handle. There's some things that are bigger than we are, and we need a divine strengthening. Luke 22, 32, uh, when the disciples were faced with imminent betrayal of Jesus and failure in their walk with Jesus, Jesus said, I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. I was praying about something the other day, and this is not to pat me on the shoulder. I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to use me as, as an example that any of us have power to strengthen that we might not realize. I was praying for somebody. I said, Lord, I don't know how they're going to come through this. I, I'm, I'm really concerned. This does not end well. Da, 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 da. And I felt the Lord speak to me. And I said, Lord, don't let them get blown away by this. And the Lord said, I will not let them be blown away by this. And I said, thank you, Lord. I know you're faithful. And I felt the Lord say, aren't you interested in why I'm not going to let them be blown away by this? Well, I know the answer to that because you're Jesus. <laughs> the Lord spoke to me and said, do you remember how fervently you prayed over the last few days that their faith would not fail? And my mind went back to this scripture. He said, I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented, see, God not only wants to help and strengthen you, and not only is your attempt to help and strengthen people important, but this is what he says further. When you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. Okay? Acts 14, after preaching the good news in Derbe and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystrum, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they did what? Strengthen the believers. They encouraged them, there are those two words together, to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I want to encourage you with this. By way of discouragement, I want to encourage you. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to not have hardships. I want to be strengthened so I won't have hardships. I, I will tell you this, I have discovered, and I don't want you to share it with anybody because I'm going to put it in a book, and um, I hope it will make me wealthy. I have discovered how to not suffer hardships. And here it is. Die. <laughs> and go to heaven and you will not suffer any hardships. He says, we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Acts 15, 
And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging them and strengthening them. The church was at a place, do we have to walk this path or do we have to walk this path? And they did not know what the right way to go was. They didn't know if they could endure either path. But when the word of the Lord came, when the ministry of prophets took place, when the decision of the body was given, it says they were encouraged and it strengthened their faith. <coughs> Acts 15, 41. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. This is an amazing thing about Paul and his band of leaders. Every place they went, no matter what the churches faced, they left the churches strengthened, stronger than they were when they left. Um, Acts 18, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul went back through Galatia and Phrygia visiting. And what did he do? Strengthening all the believers. Now regarding your question about food, he writes to the Corinthians, that has been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. We live in the information age, and Paul could have been writing that to us. You, I know you have knowledge. I know you have articles. I know you have websites. I know you have this. But while knowledge makes us feel important, what's necessary is strengthening, and it's love that strengthens the churches. 1 Corinthians 14, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying. Why? Because the goal is that the whole church will be strengthened. Okay? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12 now. And the same is true for you since you are so eager to have the special abilities and, and that's the uh, charisma or charismata, the gifts of the Spirit. He said, since you are so eager to have these special abilities that the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. You've all seen people that have a unique gift of the Spirit, whatever it is. It could be any number of things. And it becomes a show. It becomes a display. It becomes this, that, or the other. I, I will always be thankful to Benny Hinn. I was there in person when he was speaking to a group of pastors, and he asked to be forgiven. He said, I am so sorry. He said, I have so grieved the Lord. He said, I found out one place that I went that when I did that, the whole section of the room fell over. He said, and I was so enamored with my ability he said that I started doing it everywhere for show. And he said, you know what? People fell. Every time I did it, people fell. I don't know if it was the power of suggestion, he said, or I don't know if it was the power of God. But he said, I am here to repent to you men and women of God for me making show of what the Spirit may be doing in an individual's life. He said it's given to strengthen the church, not to put on a show. 2 Corinthians 12, perhaps you think we're saying, and by the way, I, I believe in people falling under the power of God. But if it's under the power of God, and if it's done the right way, perhaps you think we're saying these things just to defend ourselves. I, I gotta tell you this, Charles Cowher, and you've been praying for Charles, and he is much better. 
He's about to be released and sent home and he's had a real battle. But I, I used to pray and I said, Lord, oh, I'd love to have an anointing like Charles. And at that time, Charles, I thought Charles was old. He's in his, was in his 70s. Now he's in his 90s. And uh, I, I said, Lord, I, 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 I don't know if I can, I'd love to have that kind of anointing Charles got. And I started watching that guy. He's like a monkey climbing up a tree and dabbing over people. And I said, Lord, I'm not in physical condition to have an anointing like Charles has, you know. And I've just, I've always been in awe. But Charles, when I speak to him about it, he's almost oblivious. He said, what, what did I do? You know, what did I do? Because it's something that is done to strengthen believers, not to put on a show. Oh, God bless you, Charles. And thank you for staying so limber through the years. Amen. Um, he said, perhaps you think we're saying these things just to defend ourselves. No, we tell you this as Christ's servants and with God as our witness. Everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you. He said, I speak for all of the pastors. I speak for all those in leadership. He said, we, we try to make sure of one thing. Now, we may not do it well. We may not do it the way we want to do it. But we're doing our best to make sure that everything we do strengthens you not oppresses you, not as a burden to you. Listen to what he said to the Thessalonians. We sent Timothy to visit you. I know I'm getting tedious reading so much, but I want you to see how important strengthening is. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him, why? To strengthen you and to encourage you in your faith and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you are going through. You see, he said, listen, we know you're going through troubles. We know that you can hardly breathe because of the oppression. And the reason we sent sympathy, uh, sympathy through Timothy is what I was trying to say. <laughs> Timothy, the reason we sent Timothy was to strengthen you and encourage you so that you're not shaken by the troubles you're going through. And just to be sure they understand, he says this, but you know that you're destined for such troubles. He said, we want you to be strengthened, but get it out of your mind that you're not going to have troubles. Get it out of your mind that you're not going to have difficulties. You don't come to church to get rid of troubles. You come to church to be strengthened, to endure the troubles. In the next book, the Thessalonians, he says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God, our father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. May he comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you say. He says to the Thessalonians, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. He says in Hebrews 12, he said, when you're going through chastisement, that's never popular. It's never comfortable. It's never where you want to be. But God will strengthen you even in those times of chastisement. You say, well, what a pastor, I just feel like there's no hope of recovery for me. I just feel like I'm as good as dead. Well, that's why he wrote the message to the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Everything's almost dead and strengthen what little remains. He says, for even what is left is almost dead. He, he said, find whatever has a spark of life in it and give it mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. Fan into flame, Paul would say to Timothy, the gift of God, which is on you by the laying on of hands. 
Loved ones, wherever we are, no matter hopeless the situation, no matter how profound our failure, he says, get on your knees and do what the Spirit did to Zerubbabel and let the Lord stir your heart. Now, there's another section in your notes that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do in 90 seconds. This is my summary, which I'm famous for. It's my summaries. Don't start your clock. The 90 seconds hasn't started yet. How do we get strengthened when we come together? This is another study. It's another sermon. But I wanted to put this is a summary of these verses. We remind each other of basic doctrine. Stop thinking that doctrine doesn't matter. It does make a difference what you believe. Number two, we minister out of prayer and fasting. We never come for magic formulas. We minister out of prayer and fasting. Number three, <laughs> we commit each other to the care of the Lord. Guys, I want to tell you, sometimes being around God's people will give you an answer and you walk out singing a song. But sometimes you come to the people of God and you don't get an answer. You don't know what's right. But there comes a time where the people of God, with all of their faith, say the will of the Lord be done. There was a disagreement over whether Paul should go to Jerusalem or not. Some said you're going to be arrested and, and you shouldn't go. And they were speaking by the Spirit. But the fact of the matter is they disagreed. Paul said, I know that you're speaking the truth. I know I'm, my heart bears witness with what you're saying, but the interpretation of it is different. You say I should stay away. I say I should go. The Lord's warning me about what's going to happen. You're telling me not to go. And they got into an argument. It happened twice. And finally, they just said the will of the Lord be done. Number four, we willingly share our time and love with each other. Loved ones, we're in a time where uh, our, our personal time is such a precious commodity that it speaks volumes when you take enough, when you care enough about coming to church to come to church. I mean, we, we've talked about live streaming. We know there are those that have to serve through live streaming. We know that. But it says something to me when someone gives of their time because I can't repay that. I might can repay money. I might can repay a meal. But I can't, I can't repay, I can't give you back your time. It comes once and it's up to you to use it. Number five, we operate when we come together in spiritual gifts. Number six, we suffer together and prepare each other to endure hardships. He said when we come together we rejoice with those that rejoice. We laugh with those that laugh. We weep with those that weep. And we prepare each other to know that whatever we face between now and next Sunday, God is with us. Okay, we rejoice together and remind each other to have grateful hearts. We leave things better than when we found them. And I want to say to every pastor, every elder, every church leader, that leadership paves the way. Paul said the leadership is committed to this principle. Everything we do is done in order to serve you. Now, what are we going to do with the rest of this time? I want to give you a couple of testimonies. Of, and they're just testimonies. But I want you to know that what I'm saying works. I want to talk to you about three times, if time permits, maybe only a couple. I want to talk to you about three times that I absolutely did not want to come to church. I was angry on a couple of occasions. And out of that angry rebellion, angry attitude toward God, 
God did some of the most phenomenal things I can ever tell you about. You say, why do you want to tell us that story, Pastor? Why don't you tell us something about when, when you did it right? Well, there's, there's, there's so few of those that <laughs> you've probably heard all of them. But I want to tell you, I want you to see the power of coming to the Lord for strength, even when you don't want to come. First time was 1965. I was a Young man, 10, waiting for my first shave. I'd, I'd come to the Lord. I, in fact, I basically had served the Lord all my life. I mean, I, I, I never remember a time I was in rebellion to the Lord. I know I was broken and I know I was a sinner and I know I had to come to him. But I'd always loved the Lord. I'd always, always been in church. And when I was 10 years old, we had a revival as we did. We had a spring and a fall revival. They were always two weeks long. That was just our routine. That was our ritual. And this was the, um, one of those spring or fall revivals. And my dad, a couple of years, well, maybe, a few, maybe I should say more like a few months before, he had gotten hurt. Um, if I ask you this question, promise me you won't look at anybody. Has anybody ever been hurt by church members before? You know how deep and devastating that can be. Sometimes the pain is justifiable. Sometimes it's not. But my dad had been hurt deeply. And my dad said, well, I'm just not going back to church. Now, he always went to Sunday school, almost always, um, all my life because in those days that was the measure of a church who went to Sunday school. We always had far more in Sunday school than we had in church. That's just the way it was. And uh, so he would go to Sunday school and then go home. Never come to a service. Um, he didn't try to discourage us. He just, he didn't, he wasn't angry at God that I know of, um, at least not outwardly, but he was angry at some people in the church and really did a number on him. And loved ones, let me tell you this, there will always be enough people in the church to hurt you, whether it's intentional or unintentional. I, I, after 45 years of pastoring, I've come, I've come to believe that it's more unintentional than intentional, but there's plenty of intentional. And he just couldn't get past it. And um, my dad had reached a good place in his business and he was able to spend a little more time with me doing things than he was able to do with my older brothers because it was a tougher time. <clears throat> and one of the things we did every now and then is we'd go to a movie. Uh, my dad worked very hard, worked six days a week. So for us to go anywhere at night, that was a big deal. And he would take me to a movie and that I was excited about going to the movie. The problem was it was the same time as revival. And because um, in my church, you, you prayed that the Lord would not come while you were in a movie theater because there was something, it was explained to me, there was something in the ceiling that if the rapture occurred, you could not get past it. <laughs> and, uh, and if you went to a movie... During, if you went to a movie during revival, that was almost blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Almost. 
But we were going. I was excited about it uh, because my daddy would always get me a large popcorn, a large candy bar, and whatever drink I wanted. He was, I mean, that was our ritual. And um, I was so looking forward to it. And that afternoon, my dad was to come home. I think it was a Thursday, if I remember correctly. When he came home, or when he was, got off work, when he came home, we were going to eat a quick supper and go to the movie. And late that afternoon, or, or early rather that afternoon, I began to feel disturbed. Now, I was just a young Christian. I was just a young boy. I was 10 years old. And I began to feel what I now look back on and see was the dealing of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't the Holy Spirit telling me I was a sinner or that I'd done wrong, but peace in my heart was disturbed. And especially, I still think the best way that the Lord directs us is either giving us peace or withdrawing peace. But as a young child, that's about all I understood. I didn't know much about the Lord speaking. I knew the story of Samuel. And there had been a couple of times I felt that the Lord had spoken to me, like in a dream. And, uh, but all of a sudden, I just began to feel uneasy. I didn't want to go to the movie. The problem is, the only thing I felt stronger than I didn't want to go to the movie is that I wanted to go to the movie. I was torn and I could find no reason for not going to the movie. It was beyond me. But I, began, I wrestled with it. I, I'm, I'm 10 years old. And I called the theater to ask the lady that answered. I said, is there a chance that there's something in this movie that might offend the Lord? And she said, uh, I, I, she stammered around. She said, well, I... I don't want to know that I want to speak for the Lord, but I don't think there's anything offensive in the movie. And I, I was hoping to blame it on something. And it got heavier and heavier. And I found myself weeping. And I, I, I realized that I wanted to go to the movie and the Lord spoke to me and, and in my heart, not words, but in my heart, the impression was you need to get to church tonight. You need to get to church tonight. I did not want to get to church tonight. Nobody in my church ever served me popcorn in church. <laughs> Nobody gave me a four-decker Reese's peanut butter cup in church. Nobody. I won a yardstick of candy for winning the, for memorizing the most Bible verses, a, a 36 inch candy bar and got it home and realized it was a yardstick with four or five candy bars taped to it. And I thought, we've got a constitutional crisis here. I thought I have been deceived and tricked. It says in a 36 inch candy bar, it's four five-inch candy bars. It took me probably an hour to get over that. I did not want to go to church. And I couldn't, I, I couldn't figure out a reason why. But it just was growing bigger in my heart. You need to get to the revival. I want to be with my daddy and I want to go with the mood to the movie, I said to this feeling. You need to get to church. And you need your daddy to take you.
was new to me. It, it, it was, it, to me, it was traumatic and it was as dramatic as the Lord saying, tell the household of Eli that because of his sin, I'm going to bring judgment and destroy them all. It was that big to me. I started crying. I don't want to go to church. You need to go to church. You need to get there tonight. You need to get your daddy to take you. My daddy comes home and I said, Daddy, I, I don't want to go to the movie. He says, oh, we can go later. He's making it too easy, you know. And I said, I want to go to church. I'm just blubbering. And he says, well, son, we can take you to church if you want to go to the revival. Daddy, you need to take me. He said, I'm not going to church. I've worked hard today. I'm not going to church. It's amazing how we have strength to go to a movie but not go to church. But I should have known right then I was called to preach, but I, I didn't know. <laughs> and uh, I said, Daddy, you need to take me to church. You need to go with me. He said, Son, I'm not going to church. We, we don't have to go to the movie. We can go another night. We can go tomorrow night. We can go whenever you want to, but I'm not going to church. I, I, I had talked to my mom. We, we were just crying. And she says, well, son, you need to go to church. I said, daddy needs to come to church. She said, your daddy's not going to church. Not on a revival. And it went on like that for a couple of hours. And just the I'd never felt the heaviness of the Lord like that. Even when I gave my heart to him, I felt the heaviness of sin. But it, I, I knew it was, it was an invitation for life. This, I felt this intense dread. Daddy stuck my head out the, the door and walked up to him. I said, Daddy, will you please go to church with me tonight? He said, son, I, I'm not going to church. I later stuck my head out the door and said, Daddy, no! Not, not anger, just I'm not going to church. And to my daddy's credit, I don't think he ever got angry with me. But I didn't know. Now looking back, I see my dad was in, under intense conviction. I didn't know it at the time. He said, son, I'm not going to church. And I went in my room and my mom said they could hear us from the living room. I'm in there. <gasps> I'm just sobbing because my daddy won't take me to church. My daddy comes to the door. And he kind of chuckles and says, if you want to go to church, I'll go with you to church. Well, I felt like I'd inherited a million dollars. We went to church. And as the evangelist who didn't know my daddy began to speak, he said, I'm speaking to you, sir. You that you love the Lord deep in your heart, but you know you're not living for him. You know you've compromised and you have failed him in the midst of all of his blessing. Before you even had children, I see you making a vow with your wife at the altar of a little country church saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he said, you want your children to serve the Lord. You don't prohibit your wife from serving the Lord, but you're not serving the Lord. And sir, it's time for you to come home. My daddy, I watched him that night. I was so shocked. I'm, I'm still crying. I'm, I, I, I know now he must be talking to my daddy. And my dad begins to weep. My dad begins to cry. He gets up and he gets out into the aisle. And I'm thinking, he's leaving. He's leaving. But he went to the altar. 
He plopped down at that altar and he began to weep and he began to work through the issues. Now, I've got to tell you the truth. It was probably four years before my dad got through those issues. But he told me on more than one occasion, I think it was maybe three times, he said, something happened in me that night that broke that rebellion. He said, every time I've had a trouble, I knew I was coming back home. And I, and I asked him one time, I said, Daddy, what, what made you finally go? He said, to hear you crying. And the Lord spoke to me. I said, Lord, I can't break this boy's heart. I'll go to church Sunday. The revival will still be on. I'll tell him I'll go to church Sunday. And he said, the Lord spoke to me as clearly as he's ever spoken to me and said, no, you need to go tonight because if you don't come tonight, you'll never come. You'll never come. I didn't know that for years. I was an adult before I knew that. And it, my dad, he still had to work through some things. He still had some issues. But I want to tell you, it wasn't long after that. It was before I went off to college that he fully surrendered and began to be regular like he ought to be in, in serving the Lord. And I want to tell you, things like that don't just happen when you come with a bad attitude. Things like that happen when you press through disappointment, rebellion, frustration. I think we give up too easily on coming to church sometimes. I think we just say, oh, I just don't feel like it tonight. There's always Sunday or there's always next week. And praise God, there usually is. But loved ones, God, I want you to understand, God has brought you to a place where it rains the former and the latter rain. And without the rain, your life doesn't blossom. And he did that because he loves you. Again, he's not withdrawing from you. He's drawing you away from Babylon. Let's fast forward five years. I'm shaving now, 1970. It is only seasonal, you know, just a, maybe every six weeks or so, but I'm shaving. And I began to feel, my dad's back in church, things are going good. I began to feel that God has a call for me. This is my second testimony. God has a call for me. And in those days, right now, I hope I've done a good job of teaching you that every one of us has a call. Maybe a truck driver, maybe a counselor, maybe a teacher, maybe a secretary, maybe a homeschooling mom. Everybody has a call where God places you you know, post office, gas station. If you're a Christian, you are called to the kingdom and then God has a place for you. And all of those callings are sacred. But when I was growing up, when we talked the call of God, I just understood it to mean I'm either going to be a preacher or I'm going to be a missionary. That was the call of God. And, and that, it wasn't that we were taught that. We were just taught that there was something special about those calls. And, and I think rightly so. I think they are special. Um, so I had a sense that God was calling me and I assumed it was to preach. Um, although it, I was open to missions. In fact, I, you may not even know this, but I was a junior in college before I realized I was going to pastor and not be a missionary. Uh, I, th I thought I was going into missions and later God showed me I was going to be a pastor that believes in missions. But I was battling with this. And our pastor kept saying, if you'll ask God, he'll, he'll tell you. Well, that's true. And if you ask God, he will tell you. But again, 
God is like a young man trying to propose to his sweetheart just the right way. He wants everything to be just right. I, I wanted everything to be right when I proposed to my wife and nothing worked. Nothing worked. You want to know how I proposed to my wife? I was cooking pork chops for a missionary fundraiser. She came up and I said, can you take about a 15 minute ride? And she said, sure. And I handed the spatula to Pastor Tommy who was a deacon in the church, a youth sponsor. I was youth pastor. We drove off to a quiet place and I sat there and reeking of raw pork. <laughs> I reached into my glove box and I gave her a ring and it was a beautiful ring. It, if you could, if you held it just right under the light, you could, you could almost see it. And I asked her if she would marry me. And I said, oh, you've made me the happiest man. I gave her a kiss. I was afraid to give her a hug because of the stuff. But I gave her a kiss and I said, okay, I got to get back to cooking pork chops. That's how romantic my proposal was. <laughs> but God wants to get you to the right place. And I tell you what the issue was to me. Our pastor described it this way, or our youth, youth leader rather, described it this way. God wants you to sign a contract for him to say wherever, whenever, however, I'll do it. And um, I was waiting for my contract. But all I got was a blank sheet of paper with a space for me to sign, metaphorically speaking. I said, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to answer your call. And it was as though God was saying, well, here, just sign the contract. But there's nothing on the contract. And I know now that God wanted my heart before he had my signature, so to speak. He wanted me to say yes, but I'd just been told in business class, you don't ever sign a blank contract, but God was insisting I sign a blank contract. Well, for weeks, I got more and more angry. I'd go to church. I was obsessed with, Lord, let me hear your voice. You spoke to Samuel when he was a little boy. Lord, I, I know I'm only 15, but I believe your hand is on me. Please speak to me. Let me know what you want me to do. And I did that for weeks. And the longer I prayed that, the more intense I prayed that, it seemed like God just quit talking. My devotions, everything. I want to tell you something, I got mad. I remember it was on a Saturday. I tried to pray. I asked my mom if I could I'd finish my chores. I said, can I have a little bit of time in my room? I just want to have some devotional time. She said, of course you can. So I went in there and prayed. And the more I prayed, the worse it got. And I remember I got up, kicked the closet door as hard as I could. And said, I am so tired of praying your will be done. This is what you do. You, you tell us that you need us. And then when we offer ourselves, you go quiet. And I said, I'm fed up with this. Boy, I was mad with God. First time in my life I ever remember being mad with God. And I went to church the next day because I had to, but I showed God. I sat there in church. <laughs> through the songs, through the message in tongues, through the altar call, Drove home, I tell you what, I showed God.
I made him miserable. I made him sweat. I teach him I'm not one you mess with. I think I remember thinking that. Went back Sunday night, and boy, that's when everything would break loose, you know. How did I handle it? <laughs> Went home. Well, this is the first day I've ever showed God. A friend of mine would later talk about his day of sin in Bible college. He said, I had a day when I just totally rebelled. He said, it was only one day. He said, I went out and smoked a pack of camels and went to a Tarzan movie. He said, that was my day of rebellion. <laughs> well, I kind of had my day of rebellion. Every first Monday, if I remember correctly, I think it was the first Monday, we, uh, we had what was called a CA rally, Christ's Ambassadors. That was the name of the youth thing. Uh, and it was a time when all of the people, all of the young people from all of the Assemblies of God churches in our area would come together for a big rally, big service. Corey, did they ever have those? No, you're too young. Okay. Justin, you remember them. Not that you're older, but <laughs> I remember Well, I, Mom said, you go into, Sister Alice, our youth leader, uh, Steve, you go into rally tonight, right? We'll pick you up. And I said, no, ma'am, I, I, don't, I don't think so. My mom said, you better get ready for church. Sister Alice is going to be by to pick you up. I said, I'm not going. Why aren't you going? I just got homework. She said, when has homework ever stopped you from doing anything? <laughs> Something's up. I said, nothing's up. I just don't want to go, all right? My mom said, look, you can be mad at God, but don't you give me that attitude. I'll beat it out of you. <laughs> But I, but I said, I'm not going. I'm going to punish God. That's what happens when we get mad at God or mad at the church. We withdraw. And it's the, it's the most terminal thing we can do. But there was just a little spark. Just a little spark. Just a little spark. It was kind of like, you're going to be sorry if you don't go. Not a, you'll be sorry, but a just... You need this. This is something so special. So, uh, Sister Alice, I'm going to go. If it's not too late, you can pick me up. So I got there. I walked in the church. Give everyone a holy greeting. <laughs> Let's have worship. And it was at Brownsville Assembly. And they had over 300 people in church. We knew a church that big had to be in sin. That's the only way you could get 300 people <laughs> together is to compromise. So we go through the worship, you know, worship like this. And Sister Alice said, said, kids, lift your hands, praise the Lord. <laughs> the guests started banging on the piano. It was loud. I didn't like his music. It bothered me. And I said, whoever has heard of Jimmy Swaggart anyway, you know. <laughs> Swagger. What kind of name is that? A guy like Chitty saying, What swagger? <laughs> he said, I've come tonight to preach to you about the call of God. I wasn't interested. I didn't want to be there. I was angry for being there. 
he began to preach about Jesus in Gethsemane. He says, to do the will of God, he said, you've got to be aware of three things. He says, you have to be aware that there's a place of surrender. My pastor had probably preached this a dozen times, but you know how it is. Your kids, you can tell them something until you're blue in the face, and then when somebody else tells them, it's a moment of revelation for them. Works with pastors too. So there's a place of surrender, and he talked about what Gethsemane meant. He talked about it was a, a wine, it was a place where the, not wine, uh, olives grew, and he talked about the pressing that would take place. And it was a place of great brokenness, a place of great crushing. And he said that Jesus sweat great drops of blood. It, it so impacted me what he said that when I went to Israel for the first time and walked under that little sign that said Garden of Gethsemane, I, I relived it. I just broke up again all inside. He said, God will make you think he has forsaken you when all he's doing is bringing you to a place of surrender. And he said, there's a price of surrender. And he talked about what it would cost Jesus. And I knew all that. I'd been a good Sunday school kid. He said, let me tell you, young men and women, you teenagers that are here that want to know the will of God, let me tell you what it will cost you. And it was like he was speaking to me only. It will cost you absolutely everything. And he said, and it will cost you everything before you even know what everything is. And he said, I want to talk to you about peace. He says, there's also a peace, a peace, a place, a price, and a peace of surrender. He said, Jesus had angels minister to him after he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. He said, there are dozens of you in this place tonight. You love God. You want his will. But you want him to negotiate a deal with you. But I want you to know the angels are waiting to minister to you as soon as you say, not my will, but yours be done. As soon as you're able to say, Lord, I don't even have to know what it is. Whatever your will is, I will do it. And then he said this. He said, it's like signing your name to a blank contract. He said, God is the only one you can trust to do that. And I began to feel things churn. And he said, this is what I want to ask. He said, I'm not going to ask twice. He said, if you are here and you want God to give you the strength that you need and you want to say, yes, Lord, whatever you have, yes, I'll do it. I want you to stand to your feet. I, I, I felt like I hesitated for two or three minutes, but it couldn't have been more than 30 seconds. I don't imagine. I hesitated, but I stood and I began to feel something that made me lightheaded. I grabbed hold of the pew and I began to shake. I began to tremble like this. People in front of me turned and looked because I'm shaking their pew. And I felt an encounter with God. 
I'd felt the power of God before. I'm a Pentecostal boy, grew up in a good Pentecostal church. But this was something different. He said, now if you've stood, I want you to sign on the dotted line. He said, I want you to come to the altar. And whatever you may think of Jimmy Swaggart and problems he had later, that was a God night for me. He was an instrument in the hands of God. And I excused myself out. I, I looked at my youth leader, Sister Alice. She looked at me and saw me with tears and saw me coming to the aisle. And she was like, I knew it. I knew it. I got out and I began to stagger down to the front. I didn't think I was going to make it to the front. I thought, I felt something pulling me and I said, it's going to drive me to the floor. They're going to think God got mad and killed me because I'm going to die on my way to the altar. But at the same time, I felt like he was holding me up to get me to the altar. I went to that altar. I draped myself across it and I don't know how long. I just said, you know, yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Well, what were you saying yes to? It didn't matter. I didn't care. I'd never, I'd never felt so incredibly, totally, utterly loved. It didn't feel like it was costing me. It felt like it was costing him everything. And as I leaned across it later, I began to empty out. I just, I said, Lord, whatever, whatever, I am yours whatever, whatever. I don't think I've ever prayed whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever, wherever, it doesn't matter. That's not a very articulate prayer, but I prayed it for the longest until all of that garbage, that anger, that rebellion flooded out of my heart. And you say, well, Jimmy Swaggart after all, I don't even know who he was. Never heard of Jimmy Swaggart. No, I want to tell you, we need to come to church because there's a strengthening that takes place even when you don't want to be there. Even when you don't like the music. Even when you don't like the preaching. Well, my problem's not the music or the preaching. My problem's that God's sitting over there. God will arrange it so you sit right next to each other. I tell you what God is after, loved ones, and, and I, I'm not going to have time to tell you my third story. I didn't first service either, but I tell you what I want you to understand. God, God says I'm reclaiming my house, and it's not going to be a place of entertainment anymore. It's not going to be a place where judgment is passed on the form of worship or the style of music. He says, it's becoming a house where people will come to me and find me meeting them in the craziest ways, in the most desperate of times. Loved ones, I wish I had time to give you a half dozen more testimonies. I'm so thankful for everything that God did for me when I wanted to come to church. But I'm so thankful that this house, this house, and many houses just like it, are places where we come out of desperation Places we come because the rain hasn't shown up. 
places we come because, God, if you don't meet me, I'm going down a dark, dark hole. And he has not withdrawn from you. And those people you're mad at, most of them don't have any idea they've offended you. I mean it really. I know there are people that are real jerks. Thankfully, none of them have membership here. God, I'm not saying that your hurt isn't legitimate, but I'm telling you this. You can spend your life out of the provision and blessing of God because you won't let go of a trap that the enemy lured you into. That's why we need to come to church when we don't feel like it. That's why we need to come to church when we honestly don't feel it's going to do any good. That's why we need to spend time in the altar. That's why we need to have people that will pray for us. That's why we need to understand that there is a place, the moment we walk through the doors, we are no longer in control. We are no longer in control. And the good thing is that the one who is in control is not a, a, a monster that says, oh, I've got you where I want you. You would, you would be shocked if you knew what he had gone to, the trouble he had gone to, to pull you out of Babylon. See, we think we're, Lord, you're, you're glad to have me, I know. And I'm just proud to walk and represent you. Do you know what our walk really looks like? This is us. You're going to love this. You're going to love it. You're gonna, this is going to be a blessing for you. you you're you're going to love it. I mean, just love it. You're just going to love it. It's better, isn't it? And you know what? It is. It is. Would you stand with me? We've got to let you go. That's what pastors do. They come and help people out right when God's got them where he wants them. Thank you, Justin. I'm so glad he pulls me where I don't want to go. I'm so glad he carries me where I don't think I can survive. I'm so glad he withholds the rain until my heart is ready to absorb it. Come, Holy Spirit, come. If you are listening online or if you are here in one of the sanctuaries today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, find your way to one of the ministry team, one of the pastors, and say, I want to know Jesus. They'll know how to pray with you. If you are here and the house of God has just become an option, it's on the same list as the grocery store, the library, and the bank. But if you're willing to let it be a place where I come to be strengthened, strengthened, strengthened.